We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Rangers Pink Basketball. Today we are live on playback, starting our summer series. We are excited today to have Zach Milner from the Tag the Roll community on to discuss uh, some of the guys we we just saw. Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk some some basketball, some draft. Yeah, like I said, we're we're doing it live and live uh, here. But Zach, thanks for joining us. Um, we 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 talked a little bit on our last podcast how we uh, we. We've done so many draft pods before, and it's just like you're throwing so many darts, and like so few of them come to fruition. Even though it is a great hypothetical, and I know you're a draft guy, so I, I definitely have a different perspective uh, than than you do. But we decided this year to just keep it like to a couple dart throws, and, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about who we get kind of more specifically in depth uh, once we know who it is. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Honestly, uh, for me, it. Like you said, I'm different because I do the draft. So like, I just like seeing everyone for every team. Um, but when it's talking about a specific team, it's pretty hard to pinpoint where they go. You see a lot of rumors. And sometimes the mock drafts have some something to them. Sometimes they don't. So you just got to try. Uh, I mean, last year, I didn't even know they were going to pick Max Christie. He was just one of my favorite guys all year. So it ended up working out for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you have no idea. So it makes a lot more sense um, to just do a couple of like quick hitters before the draft and then after the draft, do more, more deep dives. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a good time though, trying to grab some of this footage. He just gave you uh gave you a glimpse, you know, to, to get a feel for these players. You, you got to watch them in game. You got to watch a lot more than just clips, but uh, it gives us a basis to work off of. Yeah. It's, it's that time of year again. Lakers have picks this time. I know there have been a couple of years where it's like, ah, we don't want the pick or we're trying to trade the pick away. I, I don't know if the Lakers are going to actually draft or not, but they do have both a first rounder and a second rounder. So that gave us uh, a good bit of 
players to to try to pay attention to. It's not like when you have a you know like the second pick where you're looking at like five or six guys. Uh, there's definitely more of a spread, and that's when I don't know. There's just so many possibilities. It's it's so fun to just you know watch all the coverage, listen to all the coverage, watch a bunch of film, dig into the data. And Zach, you've you've crafted a a nice menu of players. I think that we're going to dig into today that uh, intrigue me in a lot of different ways. Some guys, you know, grade out real well in the data. Others, not as much, but they've got some good traits. Some guys I see, you know, coming from, you know, I feel like Seth Lundy coming from that offense operating around one guy that's got a ton of gravity, uh, maybe translates a little bit more to like a LeBron James AD offense, whereas other guys, you know, operating in offenses that are more set plays and motion and stuff like that. So it's, I don't know, it's always tricky, not just saying like, how good is this guy today, but how do they translate and then the part that is just well beyond me is, all right, well, then what does that mean for them like long term? What can they turn into? I feel like we can if you give us enough time, we can tell you, all right, this is what they are right now. But figuring out, you know, adding in that level of competition and then trying to project three, four, five years down the line, which I think the Lakers are at that point where it's, you know, we want to compete now, but we also are going to need to at some point here be rebuilding. So it's good to have guys who have that long term potential as well it creates I don't know, a fun dynamic. There's so many different ways to approach this if you're the Lakers. Yeah, and on top of that, it's so important to hit on your draft picks in terms of a roster building or construction standpoint as well, Um, especially when you can get guys who can produce on rookie contracts, whether it's first round or second round. Having kind of production on that type of a contract is just very, very valuable, especially for teams who are limited with their cap space. So um, yeah, hitting on one or both of these picks is going to be important if they keep them. And I mean, they've done a really, really great job over the last few years. So they should get the benefit of the doubt, even if they pick someone that I'm not even a fan of, but yeah, just hitting on these players um, on cheap contracts is going to be important for any contender. And that was true under the last CBA. And I feel like that might be even more true under this new one, but uh, you know, depending on if you have a billionaire uh, owner who can, you know, light money on fire to uh, get, you know, I'm talking about the Suns, but we're going to talk about that a little bit on tomorrow's show. Uh, let's let's dive straight in. I, I really like to also, like like Tim said, the selection of players you had for us, Zach. And let's start off with uh, Jet Howard. Um, I'm going to throw it to you as I try to pull up. I have some some footage, but we can just talk over it. Uh, yeah. What did you see in Jet Howard, uh, Michigan Wolverines player? Yeah, so Jet is someone who I really, really liked early on in the season, like the first half of the year. I thought he was really, really awesome, was playing like a top 10 to top 12 guy. Then he hurt an ankle and he pretty much struggled the rest of the year. Um, He actually hurt, he had two hurt ankles this year, which was pretty unfortunate for him. When he got hurt, a lot of people have been talking about Kobe Bufkin as well, and that's when he started to play a lot better. But going back to Jet is... The, the thing with him that makes it so interesting is he had one of the best like month and a half starts of the season out of any freshman in college basketball. And then after that, it just went downhill from there. His shot wasn't as good. Um, wasn't able to create as good of looks, which wasn't even a strength, a strength of his in the first place. But the, the sell for him is he's just a really intriguing shooter who can shoot at high volume with decent size on the wing, um, can play off the ball, is capable of, running off of staggers and off screens and curl and, and curling and pin downs and curl and, and finish at the rim or make the kick out. Um, 
He has shown a little bit of off the dribble shot making with self-creation. He doesn't have the best burst to get all the way to the rim for a good look, but he has some decent handles for his size to where he can get some uh, mid-range shots and has done some nice spin moves and stuff to get over. And one thing that he can do with his size is be able to shoot over smaller players. Um, but yeah, the, the sell for him is just his offense. Um, early on in his career, I think it's best to use him off ball, let him run off of screens or spot up and shoot, and he can attack some closets as well. And I think over time, when you get to year two or youth year three, then you start letting him do some DHO or just some side pick and rolls and see if he can uh, continue to improve that way. Um, but going to the defensive side of things with him, that's where a lot of my concerns come in with. And I think that was going to be the reason where it's going to decide whether he's an NBA player or not. If he can hold up to a certain extent on the defensive end, I think he's going to be a good rotation player, maybe even better than that. Uh, but he was just a pretty poor defender all year long. I will say where he was in the first four to five games this year um, was just really, really rough. As you go on um, through the year, he did show improvements on that end. Still was not a positive defender, but seeing the improvements was great. Um, I will say his best skill on defense is probably his recovery. Um, but <laughs> the problem with that is he's also the reason he's having to recover in the first place. Um, he's, he is good. Um, not the best with screen navigation, but when he's from behind, he's able to contest the shots from behind or he recovered with his length. Or even when he gets beat on the perimeter, he's able to contest a shot at the rim from behind, use his length to block a shot. So that's his best goal on the defensive end. But off ball, he, like I said, showed improvements, but he's not always locked in. So trying to figure out how he can find his worth on the defensive end is important. But there are some guys who are that good of offensive players to where their offense outweighs the defense. Um, and when you're next to LeBron and AD, I think you can sometimes deal. Like if you can bring that much more on offense, it's sometimes worth it. An issue, or I guess a concern, I'll, I'll phrase it as a concern that I have, is if you forecast him as more of an off-ball player, I think that is part of the tricky situation where you have negative defenders is for them to generate, not just be good on offense, but generate impact on offense. You need to have more volume. And to have more of that volume, you probably need to be on ball a bit more or be like an off-screen guy that's more of a, a centerpiece of the offense. I guess short-term, I'd worry about if he is just more of a spot-up guy. And in college, 42% of his half-court points were on spot-ups. Uh, if that's primarily what he's doing, I feel like that caps you somewhat. Um, when I think through, though, you know, the different levels of spot-up shooting – would you say he would be more of a stationary shooter, kind of needs to be standing still to put shots up? Or would you see him more as like a movement shooter that's able to relocate, you know, fade up to the corner, lift up to the wing, catch and shoot, maybe without being like fully set? I think that could be a way for him to get more volume, even if he is just as in a spacer role. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think he has a movement shooting to him where he doesn't have to be stationary. And I think what you brought up is I think that's a concern that's very, very fair. And it's tough when you're a team like the Lakers um, who, who want to win now. It makes it tougher for these players. But trying to balance out finding that guy who can still contribute a little bit right now, but has the upside to become a bigger player over the next couple of years. Pretty much where they're picking, you're going to have someone with flaws. Um, and most of the guys the Lakers are going to pick aren't going to be on the ball very often. So yeah, you can go after someone who is a better defender. Um, 
But I, I do think he can bring more volume off the ball because of uh, or more, uh, what's it called? More value off the ball, though, because of the volume. And you can have that shooting gravity. It will take time for a rookie to actually earn that respect, obviously. But I do have faith in him as a shooter to where if he has high volume from shooting and he's running off of screens or even just relocating and all that kind of stuff, that can make it difficult for the defense, but just makes it easier on LeBron, easier on AD. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and his role in college using our B-Ball Index methodology, he was a movement shooter. So I feel like it would somewhat be an apples to apples. You know, we've seen him do that job, just plop him into this offense, do the same job. In that way, you could feel a bit more comfortable about what he would bring to the table. It's not like you're asking a very heavy on-ball guy to suddenly be an off-ball guy. So that that way, it makes me feel more comfortable. But defensively, we don't quite have the data for me to calculate defensive roles, but between, I don't know, a point of attack, more of a off-ball guard, like chaser role, a wing stopper, more of an off-ball wing kind of helper, or is he more of a low activity, go hide him away in the corner? Where do you see his defensive role uh, playing out in the NBA? So I think the hope for him is going to be he can turn into this guy who's defending wings. I don't think he'll ever be an above average or a wing stopper, but I do think one thing that we have learned over the last few years or even longer, but by watching a lot of NBA is just having size on the perimeter as a wing does have some value to it. Even if you aren't a great defender, um, I think we've seen it with multiple teams and multiple players. So I think that is the ideal hope for him is just being in that wing stopper role that you mentioned. Um, But there definitely is a chance that he is someone that you will have to hide. And that is the concern with him. And that's why um, he might not become this guaranteed rotation player. But yeah, I I would say the wing stopper role is where you want him to get to. I don't think he has the best screen navigation. Um, He has gotten better with some off ball stuff, but it's not that I'm very optimistic there. Uh, but yeah, like I said, having that kind of size, it does have some value. And uh, if he can get a little bit quicker staying in front of people, that with his recovery and, and and some decent length can still bring value to the defensive side of things. Yeah. And one area where size is also really helpful is rotating as an off-ball defender, being able to tag a roll man or, or st- cut off a drive from a, I don't know, ro- rotational tendency standpoint. Is he someone that's on time with those and active with them? Or is that an area of the game that you'd be a little bit more worried about? Because this is an area that for the Lakers specifically, we just saw them come off a year where they were pretty solid switching, pretty solid and drop, but they couldn't quite run other pick and roll coverages, not because AD had any mobility issues, but because the guards and the wings behind it didn't have the rotation ability and or size to effectively at a team level, you know, show and recover, or soft hedge and and then recover how would he fit into that puzzle so he shows some of that stuff but it's inconsistent uh, there are times where he completely misses um some easy reads that you should be doing on defense and there's times where he's slow to react so this is where some of my defensive concerns mostly come in is because of the off ball stuff but like i said showed a little bit of um Flashes there, just inconsistent, but it did get better as the year went on. The first four or five games of the year, I had very little optimism. I won't say I'm confident it's going to be a positive at the next level now, but watching how he was the last 20, 25 games or whatever, there definitely is more room to have hope there. Nice. Sweet. All right. An interesting player to start with. Tom, any, any more questions or we can, we can move on to Nick Smith? 
No, yeah, let's move on to Nick Smith, um, who I thought was an interesting player as well. He obviously has a lot of athleticism. I think he is extremely good at getting to the rim. His floater game, I don't know about his, from what I saw, the small sample size, he throws up a lot of off-balance stuff. A lot of it goes in. But what do you think, Zach? He seems like uh, somebody who he can get his, uh, his body control, some of his timing and his reads down. He could be an interesting player. Yeah. So heading into this year, I came in thinking that he might have had the best touch out of any guard in this class. His floaters were really, really impressive uh, back in high school. I thought his contested finishing through contact before college as well was very, very impressive. I want to say the film this year was not that great. The numbers this year were not that great, and it does make it a tough sell for him. But it's worth remembering that he did deal with a a knee injury heading into the year, and there were reports that it was bothering him throughout the year. So obviously, from any team perspective, they have to make sure they feel confident with his health stuff going forward. But when you're looking at his film and his numbers, just keep that in mind, that he wasn't 100%. Um, But going back to what I saw, yeah, he puts up a lot of floaters, I'm very confident in the touch. My question with him, though, heading into the year and throughout the year is how often is he going to be able to get to the basket himself without needing a screen or um, just like an isolation? And even with the screen, is he going to be able to get to the basket whenever he wants? Because with him, my question was, all right, he's a really good passer, actually. I like what he showed a lot in high school. Um, Really good finisher, really good floaters. But is he going to be good enough to create shots consistently for himself and for other people? Or is it going to be consistently getting tough shots that he has to rely on tough shot making? And over the years, something that I've I've learned, I, I think back a few years ago, I was a lot more optimistic in players who had to rely on tough shot making um, translating to the league. And I don't think it's that easy um, to actually have that stuff translate. So I I would have loved to see him create easier shots this year for himself and for teammates. But I really do think that he showed even better handles this year, which did help him create some good looks, even though he wasn't getting to the basket as much as I wanted. He still was able to create space and some step backs or get into his mid-range shot because his handles um, looked more more shifty this year than it did last year. Tim, you mentioned in the the chat, sorry, I was just going to try and bounce it to you too about this data here. Um, It's, it, it speaks a lot, you know, I know, Zach was talking a lot about, you know, him as a player more more in depth, but the data speaks too. I don't know. You read this data in a certain way, Tim. I wanted to bounce that to you. Yeah. So not just with the – so the synergy data is is part of it and looking at his effectiveness in different areas. I see that spot-ups are really the only play type he was efficient in among the ones that he did with any regularity. Like he was not – effective in transition with handoffs as a pick and roll player, as an ISO guy, as an off screen guy, like uh, other things he did, he wasn't great at now, not the largest of samples, 17 games here. Something that also stands out to me looking at our college LeBron data. So our, our impact data, luck adjusting and uh, looking at um, box score impact as well as on off impact 16th percentile D LeBron among college players. That stands out to me. He was the 4,229th ranked player on that court from an impact standpoint and was 10th on his own team defensively. So for me, 
that worries me. Um, and I'm wondering if that matches what you were seeing on film. Because offensively, you know, he, he shot, again, not tiny, not big samples, but about 43% on spot-up threes. Uh, 63% of his spot-ups resulted in three-pointers, whereas for Howard it was like 93%. So he's attacking closeouts a bit more. He's got that middle game with the touch like you were talking about with the floater. So I don't know. He's got a little bit more juice, I think, as an off-ball guy in different ways. But defensively, is he someone that you think can stay on the court? And how do you see him slotting in from a skill set standpoint into a, a role? Yeah, so I want to go back um, to the offense and his his usage as well. But we'll start off with the defense stuff, defense first. Um, yeah, his defense, he was an interesting guy on the defensive end this year. I thought there were some games, especially if you look at like the last few games in March, which is not a great sign, but he was just horrendous on the defensive end. But then you go and look at certain plays from him and he actually shows a lot of effort on that end, trying to get over screens, blow up ball screens, and all that kind of stuff and disrupt plays to where I don't think he was a positive defender in college, but I do think there is reason to be optimistic with him. And I actually think um, over the years with college defenders or how they were in college at the NBA, sometimes it isn't as easy as, oh, he was a bad defender in college. He's going to be bad in the NBA or he was good then will be good now. I, I, I want to say there's a little bit more wiggle room on the defensive end even though it is always great to see that kind of stuff but with him i do think there is a little bit more room for optimism on that end um but there's there's no way to really sugarcoat it he was just a bad defensive player this past year so i'm not too shocked by the numbers that you came up with there we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. 
Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And then I guess getting back to the offensive end, talk, talk to us a bit about that. I know you said he was – he didn't play a ton. There were some injuries playing a factor here. wasn't quite himself. Does – the inefficiency worry you, or is this something that we we see with prospects that are in larger offensive roles? And then, you know, they've, they've got the talent, so they're given more opportunity. And sometimes that's hard and they end up putting it together and figuring it out in the NBA. Like, how, how are you looking at that? Is that a negative for you? Or, and does that change for a team like the Lakers who might be looking for a guy to contribute immediately versus maybe a lottery team that is saying, all right, we like the long-term upside of this guy. So I, for me personally, um, I don't, for him, I don't care too much about the inefficiency. I definitely think it's something to know and it is important, but I think with him, he's someone where I've gone back and I'm going to value the high school stuff just a tad more because of the injury stuff that I mentioned, as well as the Arkansas context, their roster construction was just awful. Unfortunately, they had pretty much zero shooters on the floor at all times besides him. Um, so when he had the ball in his hands, they had no one to space the floor. So that also made it tough for him to create good looks. And then when he's off the ball, he's pretty much the only shooting threat. Um, so that's this tough offense to really be efficient in, I feel like. Uh, but I do like his ability to play both on and off the ball. I mentioned some of my concerns with the on-ball stuff, but I also mentioned what I like about him. With the off-ball stuff, though, I didn't really talk about it. One thing that I think he does extremely well is – He's good at knowing when to attack before he catches the ball when the pass is coming. So he'll already get the momentum downhill to get an extra step on his guy, which that can help make up for some lack of burst for some players. He's also a really smart mover off the ball, um, knows how to attack the gaps or relocate along the perimeter. So I do like his ability both on and off the ball. But when you look about it from a Lakers perspective, it's tough, right? They're picking in the middle of the first round this year. This is where you can find some upside swings, but they might be a team that wants to get more of a safe guy. How I view this class is I think from like the six or seven, maybe even the five to like 18, 19 range, there's a big group of players. Um, So you're picking at the back end of this range. You're still going to find players that fall to you and that you're going to like a lot. Once you get past that, you can go into like the mid 20s and you could probably find someone who is maybe able to produce more now, but doesn't have that same kind of upside. So it just depends on what you think you want for the Lakers or how how they feel in their approach of like, okay, can we get these kind of rotation players this offseason in free agency or do we need to or can we not be as patient with one of these draft guys? We need to find someone who can produce right now. And that could influence how you view someone like Nick Smith, because he probably is going to take a little bit longer um, for him to come around. I think even then someone like Jet Howard, who we just talked about, even if Jet is still a, a freshman as well. Yeah, good call out. Setting the right expectations will be important and understanding, all right, this guy's going to contribute year one versus two versus three, I think it'd be really important. Like, we saw Reeves immediately be able to be good for the Lakers. Max Christie, you know, did, did okay in his minutes, but he's more of a year two guy. And that was something that was called out by many immediately when he was drafted. I was hoping he'd be able to do a little bit more, but, you know, that's not necessarily bad pick or this guy's good. It's everyone has their own timeline and it's just about understanding what that is 
and having that cohesion and synergy with the front office when it comes to free agency so that between the two areas of grabbing more talent, you're able to address those needs. So I, I think that's a really good call out. Yeah, and maybe they feel confident where Max Christie is now to where they think he'll be a solid rotation player next year, and they're okay taking another guy who's a year away. That's very possible. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how they approach it, but but that's a big part of who they should pick is what they want to do. And if, if they do want someone now, I wouldn't mind seeing if anybody wants to trade up and you can trade back 10 picks and maybe grab a future second in the in the trade as well and get another asset possibly. Who knows? Zach, who do you think are some other guys on the fringe of that range that you mentioned that either could be available or might be, you know, just just give me a couple of names. I know, you know, we talked about Jordan Hawkins on our FIBA or our Euro basket. Yeah, I'm more than happy to talk about Jordan Hawkins more. Um, yeah, it, just give us uh, whoever you think would be a good fit. Yeah, Jordan Hawkins, I think, would be a very interesting fit. One of the better one of the better shooters in this class. Um really really good movement shooter who gets his feet set extremely quick and he will run hard off of screens he's just not going to be like a running off like he will run really hard off of screen so like having someone having to trail him all game seems like hell um if he's able to get those kind of minutes that can bring a lot of value to an offense um he is someone who doesn't get to the rim as much as you'd like. He's an off-ball player. Doesn't get to the rim as much as you'd like still in that sense. But I do think he showed a little bit of more improvements with that in the last month and a half. He is someone where I've actually been a little bit higher on than others in terms of his drive game and in terms of his on-ball stuff. Not something where I'm extremely confident in it, but I thought he showed enough to where I'm okay thinking there's some kind of upside or some kind of potential there. Even if it's not that likely, there is some potential. Um, on the defensive end, I actually like his off-ball defense a decent amount for his size. Um, he's obviously wish he was a little bit taller, wish he was a little bit stronger, but I think he's a, a pretty smart defender who sure he has some inconsistencies on that end, but I think a lot of people in college have some flaws on that end. And in this class in general, I thought this was a pretty low field class, unfortunately, where there were so many defensive questions off the ball with so many players that someone like him who might not have been not who might not have been the guy who makes the most happen, just doing some of the fundamentals on defense stood out a lot more this year. So I do like what he can do as an off ball defender, um, just being smart on that end, but being a true movement shooter who can just be hell for defense to have to worry about all game if uh, he projects to the next or translates to the next level. Are there any guys that if from a Laker fan perspective, being drafted at 17, you'd be unhappy with, I know we've, you know, we want to give the benefit to the doubt benefit of the doubt to uh, the Lakers with how well they've, they've done, but would there any be any guys that you'd be like, uh Oh, if, if they went for it. Um, I really think this is a range where so many of the guys uh, might just fall to where there's not that many bad options, which I think is really good for them. A few of the guys that are going around their projected range that I'm a little bit lower on is like Noah Clowney. I don't think that will be a great pick if they pick him at 17. Um, but he does have some potential as a, a sh- 
someone who's big who and who can shoot and has nice movement abilities like there is some potential there i'm just lower on him he's someone where i would have loved to see him go back to school and i would take him there possibly next year if he showed improvements but using a top 20 pick on him right now is not where i'm at um i'm trying to think of who else there is uh that's really it. I think this is actually a really, really good range to be in the draft. And obviously not everyone who goes in the 15 to 23 range is going to work out. It just doesn't work out that way. But I think this is a, a really nice spot to be to where you're going to get someone with a, a good chance to be a rotation player. You just got to put them in a position to succeed. Know what you're getting into with them. Um, because so much about rookies and, and, and role players in general is if you don't put them in a position to succeed, you put them in the wrong role, they will fade out. And if you go back, I, I always say this, and there, I think there's so many rotation players over in Europe who could probably be rotation players in the NBA if they were given an, uh, the right position. And there are guys in the NBA who are in the right role. And if they were in the wrong role, they probably wouldn't have NBA jobs. So just having, just knowing what you're getting yourself into with the player and putting them in the right position is really, really important, especially with a rookie who's trying to get confidence in the league as well. Love it. All right, Zach, we're going to do a speed round here because Lakers do have a second round pick. They might uh, trade their both picks, one pick, who knows. But uh, give us a couple second round guys here that uh, that you'd like. Yeah, so Julian Strother is definitely someone who stands out. Seth Lundy as well. But starting with Strother, just a really, really good shooter. Um, he is someone who can shoot off movement, but it's more of him like backpedaling in the shots or coming off of screens and fading and flaring out more than curling and getting right into a shot while turning. Um, that's something where I think Seth Lundy does better. But Strother has been an awesome shooter for multiple years. His volume didn't go up this year as much as you'd want, but I think that mostly has to do with their guard playing Gazaga was not to the level that it was last year. They didn't have Andrew Nemhard um, this year, so it was just much harder to get good looks. I wanted to see him show more perimeter game this year, which he did not do uh, well. They started off trying to have him do that stuff early in the season, didn't go too well, so later... Um, second half of the year they played him more off the ball again like he was in the past and became really good there i think he might have the best floater in college which is cool to see him like just come off of pin down staggers or attack closeouts and get to his floater um really really good job of doing that but yeah he he's just going to be a three-point specialist for the most part he can't do too much else um uh, don't have faith of him on the defensive end either. Uh, but if you can find someone who is a really good shooter in the second round, even if they are flawed and, and they will have some questions in the in the playoffs, it does bring some value to have that kind of shooter, especially around guys who who get the gravity like LeBron and Adu do. And Seth Lundy, going to him, very similar kind of profile of being some really, really good shooter. I think Lundy has more of a perimeter game than Strother does, has more defensive potential than Strother does. Um, but overall Strother is the better shooter. So it's quite, and it doesn't mean Seth Lundy isn't a good shooter, just not to the level of Strother. And it becomes a good like philosophical question of, okay, if you're drafting this guy to be a three point shooter, do you want the guy who is a better shooter? Or do you want the guy who can do a little bit of other things, even if it's not to a good enough level? So I think that's an interesting conversation between those two. I think, you know, Zach's doing a good job finding guys who would be shooters. I think that's probably, you know, 
requisite number one. They need to be able to do that. The defense would be, you know, would be ho- hopefully good. And I mean, I see London's got a six time wingspan. That's wild for a six four guy. Um, I'm looking at his synergy data right now. He, he's at 39% on his spot up threes. And Strother was at, at I think it was 44, 45%. Although Lundy took like 50 more threes on spot ups this year. So he's got some of that volume in there that like makes me trust the number just, you know, even more than it otherwise would at a, at a lower volume. But it's not that Strother didn't have good volume either. But I don't know. Either way, I feel like second round, grab a shooter could be nice. You've got Cole Swider still around and and he might be more of an off-screen shooter than either of these guys but uh if i don't know it, more of those spot up if they could just be, just be enough to be a three and d guy just be like three impassable d would be would be a nice boost on this team because the lakers in the playoffs were i don't know i just i don't want to go into a situation where it's we're running three guard lineups out there again just give me give me someone who can stay on the court and space the floor right and, and just to go off the volume point that you brought up uh I will say Lundy doesn't have the history of being a good shooter while Strother does. You can go back and look at Lundy's percentages last year. They weren't that good. Um, Strother has been a good shooter for multiple years and still had fine volume. Um, But yeah, when you go to the percentages, Lundy, like I said, was shooting much more difficult shots. He was the guy who was coming off screens and turning and curling them and turning midair wasn't getting fully set while Strother needs to be a little bit more set while he still can do some relocation and stuff like that. Uh, but when we're talking about these three-point specialists, it, it, it's tough when you're in the second round. But at the same time, all these guys are going to be going in the mid-40s for a reason. Um, so they're, they're going to be flawed. But moving on to Jordan Miller, he is someone where the shot is actually a question mark with him. He shot much better this year than he had in the past, and that's the intrigue with him. He is someone, if the shot does come around, uh, he probably will be a rotation player in the NBA. I think he is a really fun offensive player outside of the shot he can do a little bit of stuff on the ball at the next level i don't really expect that to fully translate but when you look at these role players in the nba and you go back and see how they played in college a lot of them had bigger roles in college they had to scale back their game and you like to see those extra things in college he can do a little bit of stuff with the ball um but he's a really really fun connecting a connector he has really quick reads on the perimeter with quick swing passes or can hit cutters quickly, can attack a closeout and dump it off. The question with him is, is he going to be a good enough shooter to have defenses respect him and not help off of him and hurt spacing up until this past year, I was skeptical with the shot this year. He showed a lot of improvements there um, to where I am at least cautiously optimistic I think that is a swing skill for him. If he can be an average shooter where defenses aren't totally ignoring him, I really like him as an NBA guy. Really good length he has. Um, And then on the defensive end, really, really smart off-ball defender while being a capable on-ball defender. Um, Probably average to a little bit. Like average, uh, I'd say about average on-ball, but uh, above average off-ball defender. So once again with him, unlike the other guys, is he can do a lot of different things. It just comes down to, will his shot be good enough to stay on the NBA floor? Seven-foot wingspan looks nice. Yeah, very nice. I was a little disappointed with uh, with with his height measurement at the combine. I was hoping it was going to be an inch taller um and that was what i expected but the wingspan is very very good 
He has done a really good job. Like I went back and rewatched some of their film last year against Paolo and Jabari Smith and all that stuff. And he did a pretty good job against them. Um, was able to attack switches when he had Walker Kessler on him, when he had Mark Williams on him, he was able to get by them and get to the basket. Uh, just a really, really fun player. I would say he might not have been their best score this year, but I think he was Miami's uh, best player this past year and their most important player for sure. And he is someone where, I personally would take him and look at him at the end of the first round, but he does not seem like he's someone who's going to be even guaranteed to be getting drafted. So if he's available with the Lakers second round pick, I think he would be a pretty, pretty good pick. Interesting. Uh, Something that is really odd that stands out to me with his game offensively is that based on which play types he operated through in the half court, with a lot of cuts and dump offs in there. He's got a good number of putbacks and post ups mixed in with the spot ups. He actually grades out as a roll and cut big, which was odd. Um, is that usage, does that usage make sense to you? Is he just super athletic and someone that it was tough to, you know, keep off the glass or was he misused perhaps offensively? Or does Tim need to go check his formula? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have expected that to come out that way, but he just does a little bit of everything. So I think it's hard to really pinpoint um, a certain role that he played at the college level. Cause I think he does a little bit of everything and they had two ball heavy guards with Nigel pack and Isaiah Wong. And he did some stuff on the ball a little bit, but was more of an off ball guy and he would play They play some small ball stuff as well. So I think he is a little bit of everything to it. So it was tough to pinpoint what he actually was this past year. Um, but that, that's why I like him though, is because he can do a lot of different things and you can be creative with him. Yeah. He sounds like an interesting piece defensively and then offensively just being able to, you know, you're not dr- drawn up plays for him. He's just able to make some stuff happen. And if he can do that, in addition to shooting passively from the perimeter, that I don't know, that's that's a unique style of guy that I think could have some usefulness at the NBA level. Yeah. One more thing to note with him, though, is he is uh, a lot older than a lot of the other players. He was a fifth year college guy. Um was at George Mason for his first three years and at Miami the last two years. So he is on the older end of things, but I don't think that matters too much, especially in the second round. Uh, you just want to find a good basketball player who can contribute. And if a shot comes around, I think he is going to be fitting that. So what would be very intriguing if they pick him? Between the three second round guys that we've talked about, who do you see as having the highest long-term potential? Highest long-term potential. It's really tough because all three <laughs> hmm. I, I I think Seth Lundy maybe just because of how much movement shooting he's shown, but I, I would probably like if you were just to ask me like who I would take out of these three, I think I would go with Jordan Miller of the three, just who I would prefer them to take. Um, but like, I think when you look at someone like Lundy and Strother, it's tough to really root out their ceiling because we've seen these guys who are nuclear shooters from three. They just bring so much value to an offense from a spacing and gravity um, standpoint that that still has like a, a, a ceiling in itself. Or that is some upside, even if they aren't doing some stuff on the ball um but i just i just think what jordan miller can do um, both on both ends of the floor while being able to be a good shooter just it gives him uh the best path to be an impactful nba player uh, but yeah in terms of ceiling i i think they all have a, a tough one to like gauge who has the highest one of those three 
All right. Good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, as always, you know, fuck, I'm going to do that again. I'll get this out. Zach, thank you for coming on. Plug what you have, my friend. Um, tag the Royal Community with Mark Schindler. You guys are also on playback, doing awesome stuff. Uh, WNBA stuff's going on. I'm sure Mark's all into that. Yeah, so check us out whenever we're live. We haven't been as uh, we haven't been live as much recently, but just tag the role on playback. Follow me on Twitter, Zach Milner thirteen. I actually just released a NBA range shooting database today. I did it last year as well, where I go to Synergy and their shot charts, and you're able to get their shot distances. There's a little bit of room for error because they only let you filter um, by a full inch so they are by a full foot so they have 24 feet you can go out to while the nba line is 23 9 so there's a few inches of missing data there unfortunately but you are still able to get a good idea of what these college players shot from nba distance so i just released that this year and i have that data going back to 2020 um but yeah, Mark and I on, on playback, we've been doing WNBA stuff, but this offseason after the draft, we're actually going to go back and watch some old college games. So if you want to go watch CJ McCollum at Lehigh and do some of like those backfield oh, evaluation sick. stuff. So yeah, those, those, those will be fun. Well, thanks so much for joining us, man. Um, I'm going to try to play this. I change how I'm streaming. We're going to, to end the stream here, try to play this outro video again. Uh, but thank you so much for doing this every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday um, of this offseason. You know, holidays not with withstanding. So, Tim, you know, let, let the people know we're, we're going to be here on playback more often. Yeah, make sure to join us tomorrow. We will be back and we've got a couple of topics on the agenda. We'll be doing some additional deep diving into prospects, looking at some film, looking at some data. We will also, in addition to that, cover a larger uh, NBA news story, which is Bradley Beal being traded to the Phoenix Suns, the ramifications of that, what the rest of Phoenix's offseason might look like, and then what this means for the Lakers and the rest of the West moving forward. In addition, we will also take a quick look at some, large, I guess, bigger picture approaches the Lakers can take this offseason. What, you know, what does the cap sheet need to look like if they want him to do a sign and trade for a point guard? What would it look like if they wanted to get the full MLE versus the taxpayer MLE? You know, what key pieces do we need to keep an eye out for with this draft that'll fall into place? And then from a free agency standpoint, should we be worried about losing Rui or losing Reeves, um, losing D'Lo? If you don't get D'Lo, who do you get? Like some of those bigger picture approaches. So Stick around, uh, find us here at the same link, playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. If you're watching on YouTube, join us live and uh, we'll, we'll have some fun stuff here, interactive. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Always a fun ch time in the chat. Thank you again, Zach. And thanks Tom for putting together these great videos. Uh, this is a nice way for everyone who has not watched all that much of these guys, but wants to get up to speed quickly to be able to see the good, the bad, not just the highlights, I'll be able to, you know, truly get a sense of like, what does the guy look like? I feel like highlight film. And that was my, my, you know, comment earlier in the chat. You know, if you look at just, you know, made shots, okay, those are highlights. If you look at like play after play after play of a guy, that's really more where you get to see, you know, that's more real film work. And I'm glad that we were able to do that. Uh, so yeah, thanks again, everyone. Excited to see y'all tomorrow.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.